Good evening. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. Hello, this is Yarrow Starek and welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship. I have my wonderful co-host Walter Haas with me tonight. Hello, Walter. Good evening, Yarrow. And thank you, How's everyone. everything going? Oh, you interrupted me, Walter. I, I did. Uh, I was rolling. I'm then well. Should we start and again? No, we shouldn't. We're just going to keep going with this because we're professional. I'd just like to, to welcome everyone to Everything Entrepreneurship on an extremely hot Melbourne day, even sitting above 30 now at 10 o'clock at night. I am not pleased, Australia. Not pleased at all. But the show must go on. So um, we're going to talk about internet marketing, startups, blogging, although tonight we're going to talk about startups, I think, pretty much the whole night because Walter has been having a bit of a startup fiesta week. So, um, yeah, let's just get straight into it. While you're doing that, though, there is one question in the uh, blog comments from last episode, which I will bring up and I will answer that when you finish telling what you've been up to during the last week, Walter. All right. Sounds good. Well, <clears throat> to refresh everyone, I'm, uh, I think it's about day eight into Startmate, which is an incubator here in Sydney. And um, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, incubators take uh, startup businesses and give them a bit of money, give them uh, a lot of mentorship and a lot of introductions to help their business succeed. So uh, me and my co-founders got into Startmate and um, yeah, we've been working pretty much flat out since we got started a few days ago. Um, I've actually been working straight through the weekend uh, and so have my co-founders. So we're a little, little bit tired right now, but I'm mm. um, still exhilarated. Now, what I wanted to share was uh, through this experience, we get a lot of, a lot of mentorship and um, I thought there were three very, very important points um, that could really help you in your business. So the first thing, I wanted to share was what our mentor shared with us. In our business, we're currently building a product and then trying to get customers. And what we've been doing is generally what everyone does, and that's build a product first, whether that's a crappy product or you know a nicely polished product, and then after that, sort of go out and find clients. But while we're building the product, we weren't really actively engaging with clients or trying to find too many of them. And uh, we got scolded a bit for that because the phrase we got was talking to clients is not about you or your product. Talking to clients is about them. And you can talk to as many potential clients about themselves as you can get your hands on. So we really got pushed into doing that. And the, the whole point of talking to potential clients is that you find out what the client really wants. This sounds like advice on how to make friends. Well, talking to clients is really about establishing relationships and friendships are based on a relationship. So either a common interest or um, a common circle or you know, whatnot. But it's all about relationships at the end of the day, right? Mm, for sure. And that's what you're trying to build up with your customers. And by having those conversations, you may have some screenshots of what your product will do, but really that's going to lead them into talking about their problems and how your product could potentially solve their problems. But it's what, they, what their pain points are, what their problems are that you want to get out. 
And that's really why you need to start talking to customers immediately, uh, whether you have a product or not. So ignore the product. Don't worry too much about that. The most important thing is to go and talk to clients. Um, I just want to interject there, Walter, because you triggered a surprisingly coincidental conversation I had today. I met up with uh, Natalie Sisson, who is known as the suitcase entrepreneur. And she sort of has a similar target market to my own. She, I think you can tell by that name, the suitcase entrepreneur. It's about being able to travel and have your own business that, that funds a lifestyle business. And we were talking about target audiences a hell of a lot, in particular coming up with a customer avatar and refining that customer avatar over time. And I was saying to her that my own customer avatar has been something that's constantly evolving. Like I, I don't think I've ever been 100% happy with it, even from the early days when I just started blogging and onwards. Wow, that's very noisy, whatever that is, Walter. <laughs> and, um, Oops, yeah, sorry about that. I'm kind of on a main road here. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lawnmower. Um, anyway, uh, Natalie asked a, a question that um, I guess led to this discussion about target markets and avatars, which is how do I get the best actual knowledge about my my customer base, about my members, and in particular, we were trying to talk about people who are paying money. You know, we're not just talking blog readers or newsletter subscribers, but customers that that fuel your business, which is obviously the same people you're trying to identify with with what you're doing now. And I had to have a good think about it because you know I. I don't actually have a perfect method for understanding my customer and really, I mean, actually getting verifiable data type information because, you know, I've sent surveys and got answers, but the people who are answering, I'm not entirely sure who they are. I know they're obviously subscribers and I can have them answer certain questions that tells me some things about them, but I'm not inside their head. I don't know what they're, where they are in their life and I can get a feel for the problems, but it's not concrete enough to really make big decisions on, I think. It gives me some sort of guidance. And I thought about it, and I was like, okay, one of the ways is actively watching any sort of feedback mechanism. I have a comment sent to me, um, even a conversation. I find like at a networking event where a, a customer has come up to me, and I actually like that because then I can ask, oh, how did you find out about me? Oh, how is your blog going? You know, what have you done so far? What's holding you back? And, and get that real information, which is good. But I've actually found the best source, at least so far anyway, is private coaching calls. That is still the best data collection I can do because we're talking 100% about their business. We're trying to solve their problems. It takes a while for me to actually get them to identify the real problem that's holding them back today. There probably are way more problems as they open up. As you solve one problem, you obviously lead to more problems. But for me, the, the answer I kept coming back to is, is topic selection was the, the newbies problem, like the people who are just starting out with their business, which I guess might be called niche selection as well. Like what exactly do you want to be? What problem do you want to solve for people? And I know you and I have been talking off call that you're comparing startup research phase to internet marketing research phase they're like one and the same right that well that's right that was actually my point number three so sorry walter i, I don't want to Th thanks for jumping thunder. again there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. um, but uh that's yeah that's another big sort of eye-opener that i found having done internet marketing the last year pretty intensively what kind of internet marketing? You know, like Walter, you come on the show as kind of like the startup guy, and I'm like the blogger guy, information marketer guy. 
but you haven't always been the startup guy. I'm not sure. I've always been a startup in some respect. Well, true. Uh, I guess consulting. I'm, well, I'm trying to get you to answer the question by saying at one stage I was doing niche profit classroom. Ah, yes. Well, at one stage I was doing niche profit classroom. <laughs> How we got there in the end. <laughs> Which, for uh, those who don't know. Prod, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't no prod. That was, the, that was the cricket bat to the face, Walter. That's about us. <laughs> very good. Very good. I'll try to learn my lesson. Anyway. <laughs> but you did do that, and you, you, you fully built some niche sites, right? I did, I did. Um, I, to my credit, I have an e-book on orchids, and uh, this invariably <laughs> comes up when we walk past some orchids with my girlfriend. Uh, I have an e-book on orchids. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a good learning lesson. Um, I didn't really make much money with that, uh, as you might imagine, but the actual learnings in terms of um, how to go about SEO and, um, and buying traffic, where to buy traffic from, uh, product development, uh, customer development, uh, niche selection, all of those things, they were, they were really good experience uh, from Niche Profit Classroom. And it's uh, that that I actually took to KickSpy. I just got to ask, um, though, with Niche Profit Classroom and your Orchid site, is the assumption, okay, the Orchids is not working for some reason. I don't know what it was. No, not enough traffic, not buying traffic. I don't know. Are you supposed to go build another niche site and keep doing it until you win? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. The reason the Orchid site didn't work that well is because, well, I'm not passionate about Orchids. And then when I didn't get the results that I wanted in terms of buying traffic, I just moved on to something else, right? which was working better. Um, so it's a, really a, mi- it's a mindset problem now, really. Well, that's right. I mean, um, you, you hear a lot of people say you have to pick something that you're passionate about and it's not, uh, it's, it's not cliche. There's actually a reason you need to be passionate. It's because you get to all the boring tasks that you have to do way before you ever make money or become successful or anything like that and you will just not push through those boring, painful tasks unless you really like what you're doing. you got to be passionate. And, you know, it's the very rare person that can get passionate about anything. So orchids was not my passion. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> yeah, and I walked away from that. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's in the legacy. It is, but it was a good learning experience. Now, um, all those things, all those internet marketing learnings that I've had of the years, they're really coming to the fore with Startmate and this business because the way you build an internet marketing business is no different to the way you build a big business. But instead of looking at the whole spectrum of you know a dollar a month or ten dollars a month, when you're starting a startup, you're obviously focusing on the the high end, so a hundred thousand dollars a month, a million dollars a month, that sort of order of magnitude. And if you're looking at that order of magnitude, then there are a certain number of things you just have to do. So you have to get customers first. You have to get uh, you have to pick a a niche that has that you can sell to you know a lot of people. You can't just pick a niche that has a thousand potential customers. You know you need to have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers. And that's the only distinction between starting a big business and starting an internet startup. Mm -hmm. But if you're just starting 
starting out, maybe you still have a job, then definitely look at internet business. Try and make a dollar a month. Try and make $10 a month because the skills you learn there, you'll take with you when you're you know, moving on to the next thing. I like we talked about off-call. I think the goal of a lifestyle business versus a startup entrepreneur is, is quite different with the type of business you want because let's face it, if your startup takes off, you're probably going to spend the next three to five years working extremely long hours uh, to get it to a point where you might get an exit or something like that where you know a lifestyle entrepreneur uh, is not looking for that to be something that continues ad infinitum. It's uh, setting up near passive income streams or passive income streams. I don't think that's what startups are generally trying to do. It's traction, traction, traction. And as you get traction, it's add more resources, add more people so you can meet the demand, get more demand and just grow something that's huge with lots of employees. And you're, you're going to be as the, in your case, I guess you're, you're probably going to be CTO, right? Chief technology officer. Most likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going to spend a lot of your time hiring programmers and developers and managing them and then thinking about the architecture of what you guys do and all that sort of thing. That's, you know, you're not going to do that for two hours a day and then go play golf, are you? No, but uh, that's that's really beside the point because that's the goal of what <laughs> no, you want out not. of it. <laughs> I want to play golf today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. But um, the yeah, the, so the only difference between a lifestyle business and a startup is really that, that end goal. But the technique remains the same. You still need to do proper niche research and you still need to do proper customer acquisition. Whether you try and get 100 customers uh, as passively as possible or whether you try and get 10,000 customers, uh, you know, the techniques you use to build both businesses are still the same. Clearly, if you have a smaller business um, or one that's a bit more leveraged, uh, like an internet marketing sort of uh, membership site, then you can set that up to be more passive and you know you make really good returns with that but if you're trying to cram all if if you're trying to cram you know 10 or 100 times that into building a business then you're obviously going to be a lot more uh a lot busier mm. there are a few and, examples like i've i've had this thought process over the years thinking as an information publisher if i wanted a company that's 10 million hundred million dollars using the same initial model and just you know leveraging it to the to the point where you actually are making a million dollars in sales a month which happens uh how does it happen you know what's what's the key and uh, i've looked at companies and, and individuals who've achieved this for example agora publishing they're a, a several hundred million dollar company selling pretty much information products in you know in internet marketing and health and wellness and that sort of area and they get very very good at their sales funnel that's essentially their core strength it's quick product well not quick but product development everything we're actually talking about all of the fundamentals of, of startups and internet companies uh, and just getting really good at that process and then putting through massive volume that's where the big numbers come from it's you know i, I always think about my market and i can have a thousand customers and, and have a six-figure business but all I need is 10 times that to have a seven-figure or even eight-figure business. And it's just a matter of numbers. It's just reaching more people. And that's 
I guess a jump in mindset. It's a you know it's a different target, which and that's really all it is. It really is the the thing. You know, your market has to be able to sustain it. Uh, certain industries, like you said earlier, you know, a thousand people are, are not going to get you to a million dollar company unless you're selling airplanes or something like that. And you do need to factor that in when you're going after a market too. Like um, it's 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 funny too because the more I think about this, it's all just a decision you make on what you're going after. Like. I've seen people come into similar industries, industries to my own, and within 12 months, they're doing 100 grand a month. And there's some other people who enter it and just never get anywhere. And you've got to wonder, what's the differentiation here? Why does someone do so well, and the, and the other person that fails to even get $10 out of it? Well, that actually brings up a good point, because if you're going after those bigger markets, chances are there'll be more competition. So you need to work harder at figuring out what your differentiation is well this is where i'd have to throw in a bit of blue ocean strategy hi gideon shawick i know a big fan of blue ocean uh which would be not trying to compete with the existing market but actually creating a new marketplace within an industry which i think is really good thinking if you haven't read blue ocean i definitely recommend it uh, it's getting a bit old now but it's still fundamentally very, very valuable and very sound. And I think the best example from the book, if you're not sure what I mean by Blue Ocean, is uh, Cirque du Soleil. And the Blue Ocean is a new market with an existing industry or even a new industry. A Red Ocean is a completely competitive one where you're basically trying to compete with a, a crowded space. And when you do that, you're always basically, once the market gets fully mature, you're winning only when someone else is losing. And that's always going to be the case. So it gets quite bloodied. That's why it's red. Where if you're a blue ocean, so if you're Cirque du Soleil, you entered the market and started basically creating an entire new industry. You're not, you weren't movie theater. You weren't traditional circus entertainment. You weren't uh, performing arts, sort of, you know, theater and that sort of thing. It's a combination of circus and music. It created an entire new category, a blue ocean industry. And what I found exceptionally interesting about uh, this, the information in the book was how the numbers on a company who enter or who does the blue ocean effectively pulls it off. They, it, it never stays a blue ocean. Eventually, assuming there's a lot of money to be made there, you're going to get competitors. But because you're first, the order of, order of magnitude of someone who creates or a company who creates a blue ocean and then everyone else in the marketplace, it, it was huge. It was like number one was 10 times everyone else. So if you take the entire marketplace, number one owned 100% more. So it was something significant. And number two was like 10% of number one. And then everyone else trickled away. So you, you really only have a, a really successful company if you're one or two, one being much better than number two. So it, it really pointed out the importance of thinking that way. And I, it's funny because I was like, I always like to go back to what I do. How do I be blue ocean in the world of teaching how to blog? And I couldn't think of anything, to be absolutely honest, because, you know, it's, I guess, blogging for money in some ways as a teaching industry is saturated. Uh, so I'd have to come up with something that's probably a completely new tool. So I wouldn't be blogging. But you could still write. That's, that's a good point, Walter. So for me, it would be like, how do I leverage my core strength, which would be writing, to create a new marketplace, which could be still teaching as well, I could just find something that people really want to learn, but no one's actually met the market demand for it yet. So that's 
quite right. Probably the best way for me to go about doing it. Um, I'm not sure what it would be, but there's food for thought there. And let's turn this around on you guys. Are you creating a blue ocean with uh, what you're working on with Startmate? To some extent, yes, we are. But um, another way of saying blue ocean is actually a disruptive innovation. So disruptive innovations can come in two forms. So either you're doing something that no one's ever done before, which is also called you know competing against non-consumption. So for instance, before digital cameras came around, it was quite expensive to take lots of photos and get them all developed and then pick the best ones. But there were a lot of amateur photographers who wanted to take lots of photos and then you know pick the one in a hundred, which is awesome, and develop that. And then when digital cameras came around, it was a new disruptive innovation which let those people who were already there get access to the new tools. So you, you could do that or you could compete against uh, the low end of someone else's big market. So like you said, the, the one, number one or number two, they own most of the market. If there's a little niche inside that market that really isn't being served. So let's say advertising agencies, since, we're, uh, since we came from cranky ads. So big advertising agencies like big corporations that pay them a lot of money and then they can focus all their efforts on getting attention for that one big client. But then you have hundreds and hundreds of small-time blogs which could also sell ads but their audience isn't that big, so big marketing companies, big advertising agencies don't want to take them on. So there's an example of a little niche that Cranky Ads tried to go for, and we tried to help those people out. Now, if that would have succeeded, then we could have taken that and then gone to the slightly larger websites and then the slightly larger websites and then kind of uh, gone after the bigger and bigger clients as a disruptive innovation. Mm. So that's another example. It's kind of very much like the long tail, what you're talking about there, isn't it? Sort of. It's because Google AdWords is a long tail service for advertising for sure. Sorry, Google AdSense. Um, you know, it allows you to monetize any amount of traffic. The problem is, and this is where we were hoping to help with Cranky Ads, was that for the smallest sites, AdSense is barely worth it. But if you can sell one banner for 50 bucks a month, that's actually quite significant for you know a, a first kind of income stream for a new blogger, uh, and and if we could get thousands of those types of sites, then we have a viable business. Well, at least we thought that was our part of our premise anyway, with um, with cranky ads. But uh, I think the uh, the technology cost, the resource cost, probably killed us uh, in that regard. I actually find it interesting to think about cranky ads and how we would go if we took on. Uh, Ten million dollars in cash just to throw at it and see <laughs> see how we you know if we could get the kind of traction. I think it'd be a bit of an uphill battle to get the exposure. Um, we need more disruptive technology, I think, to get the attention. Um, True. Although having said that, we did have what two or three big websites that uh, brought in most of the money every month. Yeah, but didn't that go against the philosophy we were just talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it did. But the technology could work as easily for everyone else as it could for those big guys. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, let's uh, well, not quite pivoting, but let's call it micro pivoting. We could have we, we were we were doing along the way, but um, 
I think, you know, at the end of the day with, with something like Crankyards, if you and I really were super passionate about that industry uh, and, and making it work and doing... We know, wouldn't do, have stopped. Yeah, we wouldn't have stopped. Like the things that w- we killed it weren't anything other than, like you said before, with your orchid site at the end of the day. If I you need to be passionate. Yeah, like I, I, I was passionate on a model that we were going for in the start. And then as it developed, I realized that model was not going to be realized the way we were doing it. And that was the point where my passion started to wane for it. In fact, I remember the, the point was very clear for me. The day we had to factor in considering knocking on doors to get advertisers to use it was the day I was like, maybe I don't want to do this, you know? That's why you have to be passionate. Yeah. You have to be passionate about all of it. Otherwise, well, you get to yeah. that point. You have to be passionate See, about making it work, and then you're willing to knock on doors to taste that success, like you know, to be that hungry. That's right. You need to be passionate about getting to the end. Because if we were passionate about all of that, advertising, internet marketing, and just getting customers uh, making money with their blogs, then we would have just you know, knocked on doors until... Yeah, that would have been a pivot process or maybe not a pivot process, but a marketing te- test. Uh, and we, if that didn't work, we would have tested something else. If that didn't work, we would have tested something else. But so much of my passion was tied into realizing technological features that I want. Those are the things that I want to go out there and be excited about, you know, to be able to say to people that we have this thing that no one else does and it's really cool and it's, you know, it's going to change the way advertising is done. But we didn't have that. So, you know, the, the only thing I, we could go out and actually knock on doors with, it's, it's an advertising system that's pretty much the same as everyone else's advertising system, which is, you know, it's hard to get excited about something. As- on the surface, although, <laughs> although since we removed it, uh, there's no other competitor to Cranky Ads that does exactly what we did. This is true. There's, there's, unfortunately, um, there is little market there but I actually want to go back to what you said before about finding like a little space within a, a, the tail end of a niche sort of thing if you say that though you're not going to be having a massive company are you you're not going to be number one and number two so that's the, the billion dollar company and, and the hundred million dollar company you're talking about just going for like a million dollar company or a ten million dollar company is that what you mean then well not necessarily I mean um, I'll, I'll give you an example which which is completely outside the internet market. It's um, the mini mills. So if you know the steel, so you have these big steel mills which uh, get the raw iron in and they process it. And then you have these mini mills which get, uh, I think it's scrap metal in and then they recycle it. And uh, mini mills couldn't compete against big steel mills in terms of quality. So they took the small clients that didn't need good quality steel off the big guys because the big guys didn't want to deal with low quality, low volume. You know, there wasn't much profit in there. Right. So they were happy to let them go. The mini mills got that, uh, got the low market, and then they improved their technology. They were able to do slightly higher quality, went to the next level of the market, and the big guys still went, oh, I suppose, but, you know, we could get rid of them because they're the lowest margin business so we'll get out of that market and we'll just retain our highest margin businesses and that kept on going until well the mini mills owned a great proportion of the steel market as they do today and um, 
if you want to get a bit more information on all that, it's in a book called The Innovator's Solution. It, it is a little dry, but uh, it ver- sums up this whole concept of uh, creating a disruptive innovation really, really well. And importantly, how to discover whether you know you, you are starting a disruptive innovation mm-hmm. or whether you're trying to compete against the big guys. Basically, if you have an idea and the idea is exactly the same as what a big company is doing right now and that's what they're making their money off, then you're going to lose because they'll see you as a threat and they'll put everything they can into out, you know, outperforming you. Pretty much. I didn't want to get on that road, but yes. They'll try to destroy it, right? Eva Walter but would have. <laughs> you, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, if you get... Uh, if you take just the lowest hanging fruit, you know, the, the sort of customers that they deal with but they don't really want to deal with, then you're going to be in their, you know, blind spot at least for a little while. And then by the time they notice you, hopefully at that stage you're big enough to compete mm-hmm. um, compete against them on your own terms. You know, which I think points to a tremendous opportunity for any person who's currently in employment this is something that I don't have as a person who's never had a job is the ability to see where the company you work for is not meeting a demand that keeps coming up, you know, or, or seeing a problem in the company that keeps resurfacing that the company doesn't deal with. And then that could be your company in a lot of ways. You know, you could either, depending on how you like to work, it could be something you've developed within that company or you could separate from it, start your own business and, you know, meet that need. And that's the insight I think you need as uh, any, any kind of entrepreneur. Like I have to say every company that I've had success with, or even, you know, just decided to start was because I had intimate knowledge about a problem. If I didn't have that knowledge, I wouldn't know where to start. Really. It would be guesswork. And I've uh, just, the insight's not there. So, you know, I, was a Magic the Gathering card player and collector and tournament competitor. And I knew what the market was like and I knew uh, we had an audience in Australia. So, you know, I ended up, maybe it wasn't so strategic back then. It was my first successful site, but I definitely knew that market and what you wanted because I wanted it. And proofreading business, I was a student and I experienced what the international students went through. So I knew there was a a need there. And then with blogging, it's funny because, again, I started blogging as a hobby but as I grew my blog and very importantly created, paid a lot of attention to the blogosphere and how people were making money and what they were talking about and what techniques were working and then also expanded that awareness into how internet marketers were making money and uh, the idea of sending emails and money coming back was always very appealing and I started to understand how that worked. Um, it, it made it possible to start turning a blog into a business as well and then Cranky Ad, same thing. It's having a blog and wanting this advertising solution to be there and it's not really there it's there's sort of solutions that are halfway there uh then you go after it and i think right now uh, with what you're doing with startmate brett your partner obviously must have seen this need from something he did for a client right that's exactly right yeah he worked he did some consulting work and the client had this problem and there really wasn't any good solution out for it so we asked around some more. We found that a lot of people have this problem of, um, you know, training their staff efficiently. And, yeah, there's nothing out there that really hits the nail on the head and does a good job. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess the tip is look in your company. Where are the problems that are not being solved? That could be your business. That's right. Now, I've just noticed, Yara, we're almost at our 30 minutes. We were at 30, and, uh, 32 minutes, Walter. <laughs> 32 minutes. Well, there yeah. you go. Um, but you still have a question. Well, I thought maybe we should save that since I think it, the question is quite left field of what we've been talking about during this call. So let's save it up. Um, it's from John Paul. John, we will get to you next week. I did sort of half answer it with a comment reply, but I'd like to dig deeper into it. It's about uh, link building. So, you know, it's an SEO question, a bit different from what we've been talking about. Uh, and you didn't finish telling us what happened in the rest of Startmate. There was three points you were making. I think we only covered one and then jumped ahead to the third one, right? That's right. So the, the third point was pitch practice. Everyone gets up and uh, performs the pitch as though they were pitching to investors. And at the end of the pitch, you get feedback. You get a lot of feedback. And that's, that's invaluable. That's absolutely crucial if... Um, if you're going to go out there and start building a business because you get feedback uh, in such a small and closed space of time so that you can really iterate and uh, you can really improve you know, what you say, how you sell your product and really how you position your product. That's the most important thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, you, you don't get that unless you have you know, a room full of similar-minded people uh, giving you a lot of very focused advice. Um, that's that's kind of the short version of yeah. it. But, uh, you know, I think that's obviously helpful, but I, I think that's a, pre a preparation process for the pitch that counts, which is the one when you're trying to get a customer. Because when you do it in an incubator environment, okay, you've got some smart people and some fellow entrepreneurs and some fellow startup people and, and investors potentially as well. They're looking at it from potentially a broad I'm an entrepreneur point of view and not being in the industry you're going after, right? So I think the best pitch practice you'll ever get is saying, hey, do you want to buy my product, right? Well, that'd be the ultimate, right? Yeah. But accepting that you don't get that many um, chances to say, you know, will you buy my Yeah, do your practice product? is what will you're saying, right? Yeah, do your practice. If, if you can get into a master group, a mastermind group, and just have people critique what you're doing, what you're saying, uh, the way you're going about your business, then that's invaluable. Or and get a mentor. I think a mentor from the industry you're going after is really gold. Like uh, That's true. It's true. But remember, every mentor has their own um, agenda. That's right. And they have their own uh, experiences. So sometimes one mentor will give you advice and another mentor will give you the opposite advice. I think it's really good to get a broad range Mm. of those sort of bits of advice and critique from everyone because you need to be able to pick what works for you and what doesn't. And if you only get advice from one, two or three mentors, then you don't get the spectrum to really understand uh, what advice will work for you and how the advice from the mentor really applies to the mentor. Mm. If you get advice from 20 different people, then you really start to understand why certain things will work for you because they're more aligned with your style. I agree. And I think the best mentor of the lot is the one that will trigger you to actually do something. For me, you know, I, I'm a, one of those people who takes the most action, not from a person directly, but actually from a source like a book or a podcast interview. Like I find that's what spurs me into action more than anything else. Uh, some people like 
you know, a face-to-face slap. I mean, I've benefited from that as well. Uh, I think sometimes having your peer group work can be one of the best things to get you to do something as well. Like, you know, Walter, if you were sitting around the pool all day, I'm probably not going to be mo- as motivated as the fact that you're putting in 12-hour days at a, a startup incubator. You know, I kind of I feel like I need to keep up a little bit with you, youngster. So <laughs> I'm glad I can help. <laughs> but, that yeah, similar, similar to you, I'm, uh, I'm very uh, internally motivated. But um, a couple of other people I know are very externally motivated, as in they will sit down by the pool if uh, no one's there to push them. Yes, I know some people. So a cu- and a couple of things they do to keep themselves moving forward is either Whips. tell someone what they're going to do and uh, get them to stick, stick to it or pay them some money and say, if I haven't got this done, don't give it back to me. If I have got it done, give me the money back find that one so silly but I can understand if you need it you need it it's a great motivating factor if you you know don't get off the bed in the morning yourself and you know, do the work yeah this will push you to do that mm, I guess <laughs> if you're extremely <laughs> motivated I'd be just like no nah, I don't feel like doing it you can have the money <laughs> <laughs> I think you have too much money then <laughs> potentially yes <laughs> I'll be your motivating partner for now. <laughs> Will you? <laughs> you can stay in bed as long as you like. Though. I guess it depends. Are we talking about a hundred grand here? Because <laughs> I might care a bit uh, more. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, funny that you agree on that one. Huh? <laughs> I'll Skype you my bank. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, Walter, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, always. always. Um, thank you for listening in to the end. Those of you who are still here with us. Uh, We'd love questions. I'm going to get to John's question, or we're going to get to John's question next week on our show, Everything Entrepreneurship, and we would love to have more than John's question. I really would love you to send in an MP3 recording anywhere between half a minute to two minutes long. Just say what you're doing with your business and ask us what you're having a problem with, and we'll give, us your, we'll give you your feedback, our feedback. We'll give you some of our feedback. And uh, hopefully we can help you solve some problems and uh, you'll get played on air on the Everything Entrepreneurship show, which goes to thousands of people. So you will literally be famous a little bit. And great opportunity to push your product. That's right. And also to be held accountable to, you know, get if you're an extrinsically motivated person, you you want to give us some money to get you to do something. (laughs) We're happy to do that. (laughs) This could be a great scheme, Walter. We could ask all of our (laughs) listeners to publicly, you know, give us money if they don't do something and (laughs) we could not need to have a startup ourselves. Next episode, this could be, we could talk about this. Is that stuff. illegal? I wonder. <laughs> sure. If it That's is illegal, we're, we're not really doing that. Um, anyway, uh, Walter, thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, and uh, we'll catch you all again on next week's show. We do this weekly. Subscribe at, at my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com. At iTunes, you can subscribe there. Get us on your phone. Listen to us once a week. And you will, well, I think hopefully you'll be inspired. You might laugh a little. And, uh, you know, you'll be part of our lives. So we appreciate that. Goodbye. Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow.